0: This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. I don't know about you, but I kind of needed that worship time as a time of healing after Mark said he was born in the 90s. (laughs) Woo, that makes me feel real old. Jenna in the 2000s, what in the world? I was contemplating a question this week and I, as I was preparing my sermon, I was wanting a really good, clear, definite answer to this question, so I did what any intelligent person would do. I went to social media and I asked the question, is there anything sacred? What would you consider sacred? And many of you, thank you for answering, you responded by telling me things in your life that you considered sacred. Uh, The marriage covenant. Time, time with family, communion, the Bible. Uh, One of my buddies said his tree stand was sacred. I kind of agree with that one. One mom said eating ice cream without anyone needing a bite is sacred. Uh, For some of you, it's that first cup of coffee in the morning. You're like, don't look at me, don't touch me, don't do anything until I get that first cup of coffee. I know that I'm old, but when I was growing up in church, the church building was sacred we didn 't wear hats in the church you didn't, You did not run in the church because I got plenty of spankings for doing that several times you didn 't play ball in the church. those were things you just didn 't do because that was a sacred place and uh, you when, when I was a baseball player, if you won a game you didn 't watch that uniform because you wanted to take that good whatever you want to call it, mojo or whatever, into the next game. It was sacred. And when I was walking out to the mound, you didn't dare touch the foul line. You would always jump over the foul line and not touch that because it was sacred. There's things like that in life that are sacred. And I actually just want to talk about something sacred in the Bible. But before I do, let me show you a couple of things that were considered sacred in Bible times. One is in 2 Samuel 6. And it says a man was killed for touching the Ark of the Covenant. And you would say, well, he should have known better. After all, God told them all, don't touch this or you'll die. However, for this guy, the ark was falling to the ground. He's literally trying to save it from touching the ground. And in that effort, he touches the ark and is killed. Seems unfair. Talk about sacred. Now, Jackie Hill Perry, she's an well-known author today, she said his assumption was that his hands were cleaner than the dirt. Ouch. That's interesting. Then in 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says that many of them were sick or even died because they celebrated communion in an unworthy manner. Again, talk about sacred. Is it just me or in an effort to not be too religious, in an effort to not be like the Pharisees, have we lost the importance of seeing things as sacred? The staff and I are going through a book right now. We're studying a book by Francis Chan. It's called Letters to the Church. And on the second chapter of this book, he talks about things that are sacred. And it's kind of what brought me into this idea for this message. And he makes this statement. He says, we live in a human-centered world among people who see themselves as the highest authority. In other words, we don't hold to things that are sacred out of our own selfishness. So today, I wanna take you to a sacred place. We're gonna start in the Old Testament and we'll wind up in the New Testament, but I wanna begin by taking you to a very sacred place in the Old Testament. We're talking about the building that was erected by King Solomon in Jerusalem. You see, Jewish people, they did not have the same relationship that we have with God today. We serve the same God, but they lived under a different covenant. Thankfully, we live after Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So the covenant we live under is different. We know every morning when we wake up, we can just go straight into the presence of God. But the people who lived in the old covenant, they didn't have that luxury. Sin was an unsolved problem, and it separated them from God. And every once in a while, God would show up, maybe in the form of a burning bush, maybe a voice from heaven, or fire that came down on Mount Carmel. And if you were lucky, you were in the right place at the right time to be there when God's presence might just show up, until one day God spoke to King David, and he said, I want you to build me a temple. So David got his church board together and they started a special campaign to raise money for the temple. And he handed this project over to King Solomon who got to build the building. However, Solomon didn't really know why this building was being erected in the first place. He's just getting it finished. He's getting it completed. And finally, as the building was built and dedicated, then that same night, God spoke to Solomon and told him the true purpose of this building. I want you to follow with me, follow along in Second Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to begin reading verses 1 through 3. Second Chronicles 7 verses 1 through 3. It says, while Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I feel like I need to just hold there for a moment. I want you to picture this. I'm going to read it again, but truly try to put this in your mind. He finished his praying, and fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. You know, we base a whole holiday around Fire being shot up into the sky and exploding in many different colors. We'll get thousands of people together on Independence Day so we can watch that. But can you imagine being a part of this day to see fire literally coming down from heaven and God's glory filling the temple? What an incredible moment. And after this happens... We're gonna look at verse six where they got their modern-day Chris Tomlin, whoever that was, together, and they had a worship service. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, his love endures forever. So after this great worship service and prayer time, God then responds and with a clear purpose for this building. And this is what he says, verses 15 and 16 Second Chronicles 7, look what Jesus, or God says here. He says, now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So for the first time, God has now attached his presence to a physical place, a sacred place, For the first time ever, the people of God could come to a place, not only hope, but they would know that God's presence would be there, that they would be able to encounter God at this temple. The temple was more than a physical building. It was the first ever point of connection between heaven and earth. And you might say, well, Chad, that's great, but what does that do for me today? After all, the temple is gone. It was destroyed. It was rebuilt and destroyed again. And here we are 2,000 years later, so why are you telling us about this? Well, the temple building is gone, but the temple principle remains. There's a new covenant temple that carries the same vision. As sacred as the temple was in 2 Chronicles, there's a new temple that is just as sacred. A new place to which God is attaching his presence permanently. And there's another place that is a point of connection between heaven and earth. And that is in you, and that is in me. A sacred place. 1 Corinthians, chapter six, verse 19, it says, do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own, you are bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, we don't have to read it all, but it tells us we're no longer strangers or aliens. It says we become a dwelling place for God. It's no longer in a building, it's now in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Do me a favor, look at your neighbor so you'd say you're God's temple. And what does it say? That God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is what? It's what? God's temple is sacred. And you together are the temple. There's two things we need to see in this last scripture. Paul first tells us that we are God's temple, but then he turns around and says, you together are God's temple. So how does that work if we are God's temple, but collectively we're God's temple? Well, in Ephesians 5.32, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's something we may not ever totally understand. It may be a mystery to us, but the, still the reality is there that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God dwells in us. Think back to that scene in 2 Chronicles 7 where fire came down from heaven and God's glory filled the temple. Why Why would we think that we are any different? I mean, after all, we're not a building, so we, we have a hard time connecting with that, going, well, that was a brick and mortar building that stood there. We're human beings. How does this work? But think of it this way. If you had been there and you watched fire fall down from heaven into this building, and God's presence filled this building, would you ever think of grabbing a sledgehammer and just start taking down one of the walls, like, I'm gonna knock this thing down? No, you would not destroy that. It's a sacred place where God's presence dwelt. Then why are we so quick to gossip or slander or divide the church? Paul said, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Man, do we recognize the sacred place of God's temple? If God says you're the temple of the living God, it means more than you're a beautiful building. Some of you ladies might like to hear that every once in a while, but husbands, don't miss that. It means that you are the new covenant point of connection between heaven and earth. It means that you are the place, the person to which God attaches his presence. You are a sacred place. Let that sink in for just a moment. When I think about the story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, when Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens split open, and the spirit comes down and john records it like this john 132 it says i saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and it doesn't just say the dove came and then flew away it says came down from heaven as a dove and remain on him in the same way that god's presence came upon jesus god's presence comes in you and i so here's what i want you to envision When we think about the God Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove and remained on him, think of a dove sitting on your shoulder. How do we move if you were to have a dove sitting there? I mean, a bird is skittish, so you don't make quick movements, or they're going to flutter and fly away. They're not going to stay, so you move carefully, not to spook it. If in the natural, I have a dove on my shoulder, how would I walk around this room? I would carefully walk. Every step would be with that dove in mind. Everything we do should be done with God's presence in mind. Every movement we should make is to protect that thing we value. Is the fact that God dwells in you a sacred to you? Are you careful in how you speak and how you act because of that thing that you value? Is it sacred? Hebrews 8 says that we live in a better covenant based on better promises. So God didn't just recreate the temple principle, he actually improved the temple principle. Let me give you three quick ones real quick. God made some major improvements to the temple when it became, went from a building to us. First of all, there was just one temple serving the needs of the entire world at that time. Today, there are millions of temples all over the world and I'm not talking about buildings, I'm talking about people. Secondly, back then, that temple was fixed to a certain place. You had to go to that city. If you wanted to deal with God, you needed to go to that place. Today, the temple is now movable, and rather than being in one spot, we can go anywhere and everywhere. We can go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because God's presence is in us. The third thing is the temple only had one design. It had one look. Today's temples, they are all shapes, all sizes, all people, because the temple is not about the exterior. The temple is about what's on the inside. So if we're the present day temples, then whatever was true about that sacred temple in Second Chronicles should be true of us today. So that's what I wanna talk about for just a few moments. I've got four things that were true about the first temple that would be true of us today. So you can follow along on the back of the bulletin if you want. Number one is the temple was visible. When God spoke to David and Solomon and asked for a building to house his glory, he did not ask for a bunker. He didn't ask for some underground building with a secret entrance that only a few people knew about. He wanted a big place. He wanted a place that would be seen from all over. If if you were to build this temple today, that was built in 2 Chronicles. I looked this up. I don't know how they come up with these numbers, but it is believed that it would cost anywhere from three to $6 billion to build today. This was not a small place. I actually have a picture. If you have that picture, you can throw it up there. Do we have that? I can't see. Do we have that? We do not have the picture. Okay. I had a picture, but that's, all right. It's something that you would not miss. As you came into Jerusalem, you would come on the Mount of Olives and that's the same place that Jesus ascended, but it was a place where you would walk in and when you walked into the city, there it is. You didn't question where is the temple. It was clear where the temple would be because as you came in, it's the first thing you would see. It was the largest thing you would see. Nobody was like, isn't there a temple around here somewhere? Yet some of us have taken on the role of un- undercover Christian. You know, I don't wanna offend anybody. I don't wanna make people feel uncomfortable. So I'll just kinda blend in with everybody else and do what they do. You know, I can show up on Sunday and I can love God, but on, through the weeks, I'll just be undercover Christian. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 14 through 16? He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Could it be that part of the problem with people not finding God today is because we're not being a visible temple? We're not presenting God to the world. When people have questions about life or about God, if they're looking for someone to go to, if we're visible, if we're evident about God's presence being in us, then they're gonna know to come to us in those moments. See, I want you to think about it this way. When it comes to God's presence, it comes in me for my sake, but it flows through me for yours. God's presence comes in me for my sake. It flows through me for yours. It's for all of us. What I'm saying is he comes in us to convict us, to guide us, to comfort us. But what is more amazing to me is he flows through us to change the circumstances around us. Other people could be affected by the fact that God's presence dwells in you. a sacred temple. The temple was visible. Number two, the temple was a house of prayer. The temple back then was a house of prayer. The temple needs to be a house of prayer today. Why? Because God's presence did not come upon the temple back then because of its exterior beauty. The temple was finished, but God's presence did not come until they prayed. Just because they erected a building meant nothing. It was only when they began to pray and worship that the presence came in. And the same thing happened in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. This is where we see this new principle of the temple going from a building to people. Acts chapter two, verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Fire falls from heaven a second time. Only this time it's not to fill a building, it was to fill them. It was to fill people, the new temple. God is not so impressed with how we look or how we act that he says, I need to be in that person. God does not respond to your perfection, he responds to your prayers. That's why we need praying temples, carrying the holiness and the atmosphere and the glory of God. That's why we have a prayer team here at the church. If you have a problem in your life, this, this building will always be open for you to come and sit and pray. But if you come and just sit in a building... You're going to be here a long time and probably nothing's going to happen because you're just sitting in a building. But if you call the church and you say, I need prayer, and you get those church people around you, those other temples that are full of prayer, praying for you, prayer moves the heart of God. We talked about it two weeks ago. The building does nothing, but it's the temple, God's presence. Prayer touches the heart of God and the temple was a place of prayer. Number three, the temple was holy. It was a sacred place, a holy place. And holiness is sometimes something we misunderstand. You see, every religion aspires for holiness. It's a common thread throughout all religions. You cannot find one religious system, one ideology that doesn't have holiness as its main goal. After all, holiness is being forgiven, being invited by the deity, or being clean and pure. And if you study any other religion, you see they all have one thing in common. It's kind of like a ladder principle. That is the better you are and the more you do, the higher up the ladder you go, the closer to the deity you get. And man needs to climb that ladder, eventually finding holiness up there somewhere. How do we do it? By fasting, meditating, giving, praying, being good, doing right things. But then you read the gospel and you realize there's a ladder system, there's a ladder principle, but it does not work the same way. We don't work our way up to holiness. God recognized that we alone could never be holy. Therefore, he said, rather than trying to get them to come to me, I will go to them. Emmanuel, God with us. You'll be given holiness as a gift, not as a reward for doing good. That's why Romans 6.22 says, now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. That means holiness is not your final destination. Holiness is your point of origin. Can I say that again? Holiness is not the final destination. It is the point of origin. It's where we begin. You will not end up one day being holy. It is what you get from the start. 1 Corinthians 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Again, think back to when Jesus was baptized that day. And the Holy Spirit came down and God spoke from heaven. And what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is not at the end of Jesus's ministry. Not because he preached a bunch of good sermons. Not because he healed the sick or raised the dead. This is at the beginning He's done nothing up to this point. And the Lord says, I'm pleased with you. You're my beloved son. It's not a reward for a job well done. It's the point of origin. Holiness is a gift of God given the very first day that you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. And then Jesus taught us that holiness had more to do with the attitude of your heart than it did outward acts of religious observance. Well, if I do the right things, then I'll earn it. Does that mean, Chad, that I don't have to work on anything, that I don't have to worry about my weaknesses? No, no, we still have to work on our character, how we talk, how we act, all of those things, but you're not working for your holiness to be perfected. You're working for your holiness to be reflected. You're showing others that God's presence dwells in you, sacred place place that is holy not because of who we are but because of who he is you cannot perfect your holiness if you could we wouldn't have needed jesus to die on the cross your holiness is perfect from the very beginning and it needs to be reflected it needs to be shown to the world through our lifestyle through our words through our actions through our deeds kind of goes back to that first point of being the visible temple You know what that also means? That also means that your circumstances will never be able to pollute your holiness unless you allow it to. Think about that. That holiness comes upon you the day you accept Jesus Christ. It's perfect at that moment. You are considered holy. And sometimes we allow the circumstances around us to pollute that holiness, but it doesn't have to be that way you can remain sacred. It's kind of like a boat. When you put a boat in the water, it's not the boat on the outside of the water, excuse me, the water on the outside of the boat that causes it to sink. It's when the water comes in the boat that the boat begins to sink. In the same way, when you begin holy, it's not the circumstances around you that have to pull out or pollute that holiness. You don't have to do that. You can stay pure and holy even though things around you are not going well. The temple remains holy. It's a sacred place. Number four, the temple was a place of miracles. The temple was a place of miracles. And there's no greater miracle that we can give this world than the miracle of salvation. Out of all the miracles in the world, no greater miracle than when the human heart is opened up and Christ moves in to give eternal life. We are God's temple. And we need to be visible. We need to be a place of prayer. We need to be a holy place and a place where miracles happen. The same presence that filled that building that day fills our lives today. Have you ever wondered, I I get fascinated by this. Have you ever wondered who decides what's gonna be the next trend? This always just fascinates me. I don't get it. Who decided that Carhartt was going to go from being some farmer's attire to what everybody in the world wanted to wear? I mean, what person just decided that one day and then all of a sudden, I got to get some Carhartt gear? Champion, the workout gear. I mean, that's been around for years and all of a sudden, it was three, four years ago, it became like Nike or, you know, Under Armour. And it's like, who decided that? Or maybe it was Stanley. Anybody ever have a Stanley mug? Stanley. Been around 109 years. Long time. You could say this was the old covenant and this would be the new covenant. There you go, right there. It's interesting to me that these cannot even stay on the shelf. Every time they're released, they're just sold as quickly as they're put out on the shelf. You wonder how in the world that these become the new thing. Do you realize these were released in 2016 with Stanley's camping gear and they did not sell, so Stanley died, decided to discontinue them. Most people don't know that because all they know is I gotta get one of these. By the way, we have four of these we're gonna give away next week to some teachers because next week is Teacher Sunday. So teachers, if you would like one of these, come back and you would have the chance to win one of these. We'll push for teachers. 2016, this was released in the camping gear. No one liked it. It never sold. So they discontinued it until 2019. Three ladies who were starting a business called the Buy Guide. The Buy Guide was a social media business and they were going to use it to promote a product and whatever product they promoted, if it sold well enough, then they would make money from that. And one of those three ladies fell in love with this Tumblr. And she told the other two about it. She said, we have got to promote this thing. This is awesome. One of the reasons everybody likes it, obviously it keeps things hot or cold for long periods of time. Ladies love the handle, but more importantly, ladies love that it fits in the cup holder of your van or your Suburban. (laughs) So these three ladies got together and they talked about, we gotta sell this thing. Little did they know, Stanley had already discontinued making this. And so they called Stanley and they said, we wanna sell this. We love it. We wanna promote it on the buy guide and we wanna get these out there. And they said, sorry, we don't believe in that. It's not gonna sell. And they said, please, let us us just buy some to put out there and see what happens. We'll buy 5,000 of them. And finally they convinced Stanley to do it. So they bought 5,000. They not only pooled all the money they had in their business, they each gave some of their own money to buy the first 5,000. They took a risk. And those 5,000 sold in a week. And so they called Stanley back and they said, give us 5,000 more. And the same thing happened again. Stanley still wasn't convinced. It took several times before they finally said, we gotta get this back out there. These ladies know what they're talking about. It all began with three ladies that knew how to sell to moms and they were willing to take a risk. They saw the value in something that Stanley themselves did not see the value in. They themselves couldn't be convinced that this would sell. It took all kinds of sales and selling out of them over and over and over before they finally realized we got to get it back out there. Now they can't keep them on the shelf. Why? Because some women saw the value. If three ladies starting a business can bring back a mug that was just sitting on the shelf, already discontinued, if they could see the value in something worthy of investing in it, taking a risk on it, couldn't we do the same? Let me ask you a pretty difficult question this morning. Has God been sitting on the shelf so long that he's become old news? Is it too hard to sell? Are you too worried that you're gonna get turned down? Is it not worth the risk? Is it no longer sacred to think that God's presence dwells within us? And shouldn't everybody know? Doesn't everyone deserve to know just how good that product is? That we'd be willing to take a risk to step out of our comfort zone, to see it as sacred. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? I mentioned the book that I've been reading with the staff. Francis Chan says this in the book. He said, heavenly beings are shocked by God's church while many on earth yawn. The early church didn't need energetic music, great videos, elaborate lighting to be excited about being part of God's body. The pure gospel was enough to put them in awe. Can I ask you, when was the last time you were in awe of God's presence? There is no greater honor on this earth than to be part of God's church and to be a place where God's presence dwells. Not a building, not an ark. We are God's temple. What did Jesus teach us when he taught us how to pray? He said to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. And I believe when we allow God's presence to dwell in us, and I believe when we allow God's presence to flow through us, we are experiencing heaven on earth. Can I encourage you today to be temples, a sacred place where God's presence dwells. Be a visible temple that others would know you are a place where God's presence dwells that it would be a place of prayer, that when someone needs something, they would know I can go to that person and they are gonna touch the heart of God through prayer, that you would be a holy place, such a sacred place that when you move, when you talk, it's as if that dove is sitting on your shoulder and you're doing everything you can to protect that. You you make every decision with that in mind, knowing that his presence dwells in you that we would be a place of miracles, bringing others to salvation. Father, help us. Help us not to yawn at the things that you do. Help us not to just stick you on a shelf as if you're old news. God, that every day we would allow your presence to dwell in us and that that would be a sacred place. Where not only you convict, you heal, you challenge, but Lord, you also use to flow through us, to touch others.